Welcome to the Rooted Healing Podcast, where we seek to deepen our kinship with the living landscapes around us and within us. This is a space where stories heal with words that weave us closer to our wild and interrelational nature, where we explore ways to root down and re-indigenize ourselves to the land, ecosystems, communities, and practices that help us heal, reimagine, and co-create the world we love to be alive in. Because it's been well protected for a good amount of time, actually it's coming back. And that's so heartening and so exciting. It baffles people that we have these mushrooms growing on these lands. People think about them coming from China and North America and further reaches of, of like Eastern Europe, but we have them here. It's just that we've lost so much of our ancient woodland. They they haven't had a chance, you know, and more people are looking for them now. So more people are finding them, which is really a beautiful thing. As the world changes and we rapidly have to alter the way we navigate our existence, Bristol Fungarium, the UK's only organic certified medicinal mushroom producers, believe we can learn much from the fungi world. Their work is to grow local mushroom strains that have developed over millions of years and attempt to be mindful about their impact on the local flora and fauna. With up to two billion ash trees going to perish in the next two decades, anything we can do to mitigate the unforeseen consequences of introducing different genetics into a highly complex ecosystem, they feel obliged to do. In this episode, we have the wonderful Elle Kennedy, who after 14 years in the world of sales and marketing across Europe and Asia, and a lifetime of interest in natural alternative and complementary medicine, found herself on a mushroom farm back in her heartland of Bristol in 2020, and was tasked with putting her skills to better use, launching the Bristol Fungarian brand. When she isn't playing mushroom paparazzi, Elle spends her time studying Western medical herbalism with Hartwood, part of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. This was such a delightful, fabulously fungi-fueled conversation, which left me even more excited about our fungi-themed gathering, Forestlings in Somerset, which is now only one week away. And we've just had our final psilocybin retreat of the year in the Netherlands. It was incredible and once again I have been blown away by this work, the people who show up to do it and by the power of ceremony and community. If you'd like to learn more about our psilocybin retreats in 2024 which will be in Portugal head to rootedhealing.org slash earthmedicine where there are currently early bird spots to be claimed. Tom and Elle have very generously offered a Patreon-exclusive discount, which we'll be sharing with this episode. Head to patreon.com slash rootedhealing to sign up for less than the cost of a cup of tea, and you will have access to an archive of exclusive content, practices, resources, workshops, and so on, as well as access to this 20% discount for the incredible mushroom tinctures from Bristol Frangarium. It's also a beautiful moment to sign up for our year-long slow study, Deepen Your Roots, which is a truly one-of-its-kind course to cultivate profound belonging and really find your ecological niche, your medicine, your gifts to weave into place-based action and being, into being. 
It weaves deep ecology, the work that reconnects, and a folkloric, animistic exploration into the ecological self, rewoven or re-indigenized with place. It's really a multi-generational calling. It does not end after these 13 moons of inquiry. As a participant, you gain automatic lifetime status as a bioregional guardian, a keeper of the wisdom, knowledge, and forgotten secrets of the land on which you live. Throughout the program, we have the opportunity to explore and develop offerings to nourish your ecological niche. What is it that the land is longing for or your community? Our work is to bioregionally revision our maps with blurred boundaries, creating a growing community who do not wish to forget what it means to truly belong. So if you'd like to learn more, if that's piqued your interest, head to rootedhealing.org slash deepen. We also have our next podcast episode coming out with Ben Stopford, who I'm co-hosting this course with. So stay tuned for that as well. Okay, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Elle and I hope it helps you tap even more deeply into the mycelial wisdom that is all around. It's so nice to see you there surrounded by your fungi friends and I love to weave people in with just a little introduction really to hear you speak your own name but also an aspect of the land that raised you or shapes you and then if you want to bring in any any friend into the conversation in spirit, who would that be? Gorgeous. So I'm Elle. Um, I reside in the land of Somerset, which in many ways has raised me. The rolling lands of apples and mushrooms and mead. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to bring Reishi into our conversation, who is present here in both spirit and fruiting body. <laughs> so, um, yeah, lovely, lovely reishi, such a, a huge, a huge part, I think, of my, my being and something that I'm very grateful for. I'm very grateful to be doing it at all times. Yes. Yeah. I want to hear so much more about reishi. It's been really floating around. I feel like everyone in my echo chamber knows how amazing it is, but at the same time, it's not something I fully dived into in terms of the profound capacity of it because I've heard all these rumors and I know that you're currently you're you're taking reishi every day and having a, you're brewing a bit of a, a reishi being in your system <laughs> I am I'm trying I've heard wonderful stories of reishi babies and I am almost seven months pregnant mm. and reishi really at least anecdotally speaking, I have heard whispers of studies, but never have I managed to find this study, um, uh, you know, about these these children, these babies that are raised from conception, really, um, by women that take reishi religiously to bestow a sense of zen, really, and calmness, and not only on the baby, but of course on themselves. Reishi is such a beautiful mushroom so calming, so supportive for the nervous system, helps us to sleep better, helps um, with cortisol spikes, which is a huge thing in pregnancy. Cortisol rises mm. like four times in some women, two to four times on average. And reishi really helps to modulate that. It's amazing for the immune system, so many things. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've found many little treasured pieces of information about 
these reishi babies. And I thought, right, okay, well, that's that's good enough for me. I've had conversations with as many herbalists um, and obstetricians that I can have. Uh, and it's the only one that I'm, I'm kind of, um, yeah, it, it feels right. Yeah. The others, you, I'm, I'm notorious for taking so many different mushrooms at so many different times, but it really feels like the one that I need the most of at the moment. So, mm, yeah. I love it because it denotes to me the, this idea of the ecological self, which is something I'm trying to just sprinkle in with that opening intro, you know, this idea that we're not islands, we've actually been raised by the lands and by all the other ecological beings around us and within us. And so this idea of your Baba coming into the world with uh, a lot of reishi support sounds wonderful. I love it. It sounds like from quite a young age then you were you were drawn into the fungi realm, but I'm just wondering if there was a moment where it became, I don't know, when they, they really reined you in. <laughs> yeah, it's been staggered actually. So as a as a child, my grandfather was the first kind of person to take us into the woods as kids and talk about all of the fungi and the trees and really try to educate us. And to be honest with you, as a child, I wasn't interested mm. in the sense that I thought they were so weird. <laughs> and, you know, you'd poke them and go, oh, wow, that's so weird and so gross, you know, and all of these kind of slime molds and jelly funguses. And, you know, I think for for me, I really took for for granted, like the magic of the the woodlands and actually my my home then was Berkshire, um, very close to where Medicine Festival is, mm. is based. Um, yeah, with the woodlands that I used to roam in. Um, and yeah, so the mushrooms didn't quite get me then. I always loved mushrooms. Through my teens, I loved mushrooms yeah. in a very different way. In my 20s, like when I was, I was living out in Asia, I was working in Malaysia, um, where I was based for about five years. And I was living a really, really fast paced life. I was working in advertising and I was burning the candle at every which possible end. And I quite honestly was looking for anything that would help my brain to run in a more functional way in situations that it really shouldn't be functioning because my body wanted to rest. <laughs> I wasn't in the mindset of doing that yet. Um, and that's when I discovered mushrooms like lion's mane. And really started diving in to the whole kind of new tropics realm. And, you know, and I don't say lightly using mushrooms like lion's mane and using herbs like ginseng and ginkgo. And it really, honestly, it backfired on me. Um, unsurprisingly, had a big burnout, um, kind of, yeah, backed away from um, advertising land again, staggered over a couple mm. of different different periods. Um, yeah, it took me a really long time to get out of, of that mindset. And it wasn't until I went to Costa Rica and I had the amazing opportunity to work with a plant medicine retreat centre out there um, where I was, I met an amazing, amazing dear friend um, called Elia who lived up the road from the retreat centre and she introduced me to Reishi. And so I was doing all of this deep, deep, deep work. But really it was Reishi that I felt working in an integrative way with my body every day. Mm. Suddenly I was like, oh, that's what my nervous system feels like when it's 
regulated mm. and when it starts to become regulated and I you know and it was silly things initially like oh wow um, I'm not feeling jittery from drinking coffee anymore I was literally just like drinking cafetiers of reishi mushrooms and really started noticing like yeah the the profound effect that it was having on me physiologically and the yeah the the way that it was really really helping me to integrate these big experiences that I was having um and then I came back to Somerset and this was at the very beginning of lockdown planning quite frankly to go back to Costa Rica and live the wafty life of my dreams and keep working with this amazing uh, retreat center they're called Posada Natura they do amazing work and I'd started kind of supporting from um you know, from a, a kind of brand and, and per marketing perspective as well, because for my sins, I cannot seem to get away from that. <laughs> um, so that was my plan. And I got back to England and I handed over my apartment and the world went into lockdown. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I was still in like the afterglow of being in the jungle. And I was like, oh, this is fine. This is all going to blow over in a few weeks. And uh, in that time reached out to what I thought was like a team of just growers that seemed to be local to me. I had no idea at the time why I was connected with them on Instagram, but I reached out to a page that I was following called The Growing Up Project, um, who were doing amazing work, like teaching kids how to reconnect with the land and how to work the land, um, run seemingly by this, this wonderful guy uh, who... Yeah, it was very innocently. I was like, can I help? <laughs> Do you need any volunteers? Because it looks like I'm going to be back for a few weeks. And I'd really love to reconnect with the land and get my hands dirty and just help out on the farm. And um, essentially, we we got to chatting and it turned out that this lovely team of people was actually a lovely man called Tom, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is my now partner. <laughs> and, um we we met we actually went for a, a totally like forbidden walk in the woods uh, as i say dawn of lockdown not absolutely not supposed to be meeting anybody new um and we went for a walk at dawn in the woods weirdly but maybe not weirdly at all in the woods behind where our mushroom farm now is based to total serendipity um and anyway he showed me around the farm and uh, I saw these shipping containers full of mushrooms and I was just like, well, this is incredible. Like growing reishi, growing at the time, not really, not really growing lion's mane, but reishi, shiitake, oyster mushrooms, like all of these amazing, amazing mushrooms that I'd loved for such a long time, both medicinally, but also to eat and just, yeah, I was completely bowled over. And um, yeah, I mean, that's a very short version of the story. Essentially did start helping out and, and working on the farm. Didn't go back to Costa Rica. <laughs> decided very quickly after meeting um, Henry as well. So Henry um, and Tom have been working together probably for nearly five years now. Tom's been growing mushrooms for about that long. He was an organic veg farmer before. Um, yeah, met Henry, who comes from an interesting background working with aquatics, actually, but started really getting into the more sciencey stuff, cloning the native strains, 
experimenting with the best way to make tinctures. He's really methodical and a bit of a perfectionist. And that that started early on, but we didn't launch them until about two and a half years ago. Anyway, met the guys and was like, okay, well, people need to know about this. What are you going to call it? You know, and at the time (laughs) there was like, oh, it's maybe just the mushroom farm. But Tom loved the name Bristol Fungarium. So we were like, okay. And I kind of insisted on wrangling them into the the dark arts of social media and setting up the website and and all of the rest of it and so that really you know as I say very long long story cut very short but it felt in a big big way when I walked onto the farm and I saw the mushrooms that I had been almost kind of sent back to the land that I was Mm. supposed to be on and I'd had all of these profound experiences and the real integration and the real bedding it in was actually going to happen here. Mm. And obviously, contextually, the whole world was going through like the biggest shift and the biggest tragedies as well. Um, but our little corner of Somerset, something really beautiful started happening. And we owe so much to these mushrooms. Oh, yeah, it's so beautiful. I I can't help but feel that the mushroom can also they they're almost the stars of the show and you guys were you know they were in relationship with with these beings that wanted to be shared in this way i often feel that maybe i'm i'm prophesizing whatever that word is the the mushroom folk but it feels like a very synchronistic powerful uniting of yeah, cross-species beings. <laughs> totally, totally. And, you know, it's in in very vague and big statements, right? Like they are the great communicators and the great connectors of the natural world. Um, and it definitely felt at many, it has felt and it still feels sometimes like we're just kind of pawns in their game. <laughs> yeah. Know? And I'm absolutely um, honoured to be, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, really, really amazing. And it so many strange and wonderful coincidences in terms of the, the exact land that we are on and the mushrooms that we grow, how we came across it. Mm. Well, yeah, you mentioned how Lion's Mane wasn't there from the beginning. And I know that there's perhaps a story connected with that. So I'd love to hear that one. <laughs> there is. There's, so Lion's Mane really is... So this, this beautiful lion's mane here um, is the very reason that we are based where we are now. So when I met Tom, the the farm originally um, was based further into Somerset, um, growing in shipping containers. And at that time, really, he was mainly uh, focused on growing um, edible mushrooms for markets and for restaurants. And as I say, kind of starting to experiment with the medicinal side um, and, and really you know, making sure that they were honouring them in the in the best way possible. But that took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many years in, but it just didn't, we, we kind of outgrew the, the farm in many ways. Like firstly, the shipping containers weren't big enough anymore for the amount of mushrooms that needed to be grown. But also the amount of people that wanted to be involved wasn't very fitting. It wasn't Tom's farm, so he worked on... Um, I don't know what the right turn of phrase is, but was working on uh, the land that belonged to a lovely chap called Phelan who just wanted a quiet life. He didn't want loads of like fungi fanatics showing up <laughs> every day of every week. 
and wanting to get involved. So we needed to find quite desperately a new place to, to move to. And that had probably been going on for about a year. Um, meanwhile, one of the wonderful um, kind of friends of the Fungarian, really, and, and one of the ladies that was volunteering at the time, Sarah, who was notorious for her long walk. She just walks like 20 miles of a weekend and finds loads of things on her way. And she was the woman that found the lion's mane originally on one of her long walks. And there it was 30 metres up a beech tree. Tom didn't believe it initially. He was like, no way, have you found a lion's mane? I've got to come and check this out. Sure enough, it was. And obviously, like, nobody could believe their eyes. Tom had a, a friend at the time that was working at the Fungarium at Kew, um, and was kind of chatting to him about it. And it was like, wow, you know, this is, it has to be like documented. And it's an amazing sight to behold. And each year after that, so it was probably about two or three years, they would go back to check on this lion's mane, 30 metres up a beech tree to see how it was doing, basically, and kind of see what the growth was like. And then one year, I don't know how many years ago, three years ago or something, I guess, um, we went to check on it and the tree was no longer there. And I'm really am bad at local geography. Tom is very much more of a woodsman. And so I was like, are you sure it was here? Maybe you've just got the wrong place. And he was like, no, pacing up and down, like this was the spot and it isn't there anymore. And so he got hold of a mutual kind of friend or a pal that lived down the road to find out whose land it was initially really so that he could have a bit of a pop and go like what the hell have you done <laughs> you know that's the, yeah. the rarest mushroom one of the rarest mushrooms in Britain and and to kind of yeah serve him some education in that sense and question <laughs> the decision but also took the opportunity to ask if he would um, sell any land <laughs> because he needed to move his farm and it seemed like this you know seemed like he had plenty of land so could we move into some of it um, the answer to that was no. And the answer to the mushroom thing was, oh, I always wondered what that strange white thing was. But of course, that was the reason that the beech tree was felled because <gasps> landowners, you know, generally you're, you're, you're trying to, yeah, keep things manicured uh-huh. and keep things, uh, keep the healthy trees going. And if it's not a healthy tree, then then fell it. Um, Tom managed to get him to leave the tree where it was. So even though it had been felled, um, the fallen tree was was left. So that was one of the early conversations that they had. But anyway, in the conversation um, of asking if, if he'd sell us any land and him saying no, he did say, well, I have got loads of barns. So if you just need a barn, I can show you a barn that you can rent. And when we came to look at the barn, there was also a beautiful old farmhouse. And he went, oh, I don't suppose you're interested in the farmhouse as well, are you? And we were like, um, absolutely. Like, wow. What? It's 10 minutes from Bristol. This doesn't happen. Places like this yeah. do not come up. And it's such a special place. Um, so, yeah, long story short, when we when we moved in and we moved all of the mushrooms in and the guys started kitting out the fruiting chamber, we would go back and check um, and... At one point, we went back and we jumped over the wall to see if we could find anything from where the tree had come down. And we managed to find basically some bits of the lion's mane that had come down when the tree had been felled. And Henry was like, 
there's no way I'm going to be able to do anything with this. Like it's sodden. And lion's mane is like a wet sponge, you know. It's really delicious to eat, but it has to be cooked in exactly the right way. Otherwise, it's actually not very nice at all. It's like a soggy sponge. Um, So he was like, I'll try it, but I doubt I'm going to be able to do anything with it. So picked up this piece and took it back to the lab and took a little cutting from it, put it on an agar plate and... uh, it worked. So this sodden, dirty piece of lion's mane, which like any like person that works in a lab or works with mushrooms in their right mind wouldn't even try because you really want like clean specimens. That's really important. But somehow it worked and somehow they got it to, um, they got the mycelium to run. They managed to make a strong enough liquid culture. And now all these years later, like two and a half years later, uh, it's probably the happiest mushroom that we grow. We grow probably the most, well, definitely the most amount of lion's mane of anyone in the UK. And it's absolutely thriving. It loves being here because it's like 300 metres away from its original home. Yeah. And it turns out it does actually come back each year. Uh, we were convinced it wouldn't because there was nothing on the tree. Like there was just these sodden pieces on the ground and it was very sad to look at, but it actually is still still there, three hundred meters away from the farm, which is amazing. So the odd person does get a does get a visit. And since then, we found reishi, and obviously there's loads of turkey tail around. It's just a mushroom wonderland, this place. But oh. if the lion's mane hadn't, um, it almost felt like it put an alert out. <laughs> yeah, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Someone needs to find me now. And uh, yeah, so that. Very lion's mane is the reason that we're based on the land that we're on, that, yeah, that we, we're able to grow the native lion's mane, which nobody else has. Hmm. You know, the, the reason the guys started growing native mushrooms initially was because ecologically it's way better. Like from a biodiversity perspective, um, you want to be growing native strains. Mushrooms grow by spreading their spores around. And if we were only growing commercial uh, species, commercial mushrooms that had been bred over time to yield really heavily and fruit really fast, of course, they're going to outcompete the amazing mushrooms that we have all around us. But by growing the native mushrooms, so like the, the lion's mane, for instance, and the reishi and the turkey tail, we're now getting to a point that we're able to put these mushrooms back into the woods. So we go out and we do a mm. lot of outdoor inoculation um, just really over the last year is when it's finally started. And yeah, it's very exciting. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. I always feel emotional and especially seeing the uh, the lion's mane there behind you. I really feel like this presence in this conversation and this story. It's magical. And I was, that was going to be my next question about, um, yeah, inoculating uh in the land that's so exciting so so exciting so i've heard tales of people um inoculating the wrong type of lion's mane it'll it'll outcompete so you know and the 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 tricky thing is at the moment there's 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 talk in the mycological community because there's been so many sightings so many more sightings of lion's mane over the last couple of years than there has for decades and there's a (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't want to call it a conspiracy theory. There's a theory 
that perhaps it is because there's so many mushroom grow kits now. So people are growing these commercial uh, mushrooms in their homes, in the kitchens, in the garages. And perhaps it's those spores that are getting out. The more likely story is that because it's been well protected for a good amount of time, actually it's coming back. And that's so heartening and yeah. so exciting. It's It baffles people that we have these mushrooms growing on these lands. People think about them coming from China and North America and further reaches of, of like Eastern Europe. But we have them here. It's just that we've lost so much of our ancient woodland. They, mm. they haven't had a chance, you know, and more people are looking for them now. So more people yeah. are finding them, which is really a beautiful thing. But yeah, so the, the risks are that really potentially that... Um, and there's been reports of it in the States around like shiitake farms and mushroom farms out there where all of a sudden mushrooms that would not be native to the land there have started popping up. And the issue with all of this, right, is that the damage happens over long periods of time. We have no idea what the effects are going to be over the next decades. <laughs> what we do know is that we've done enough damage and now is the time to start repairing it. And I think more and more people are, are on that journey and on that that wagon, thank God. Um, you know, but this is, it's a really good thing for us to be aware of, you know, and all the more reason to go out and find these strains. And, yeah. you know, this is a shout out for anybody. If anybody finds a, an amazing, rare, saprophytic mushroom, please send, send us a piece. <laughs> we would yeah. love to try and clone it and we can send you some, some dowels to go inoculating in your local woods. Such a fun way to slow down when you're out in the world is to really pay attention and connect with, the, with this, this realm. I feel ultimately what, what the fungi realm are really showing us or helping us heal from is this disconnect that we've all been experiencing you know your story of this burnout and this sort of machine um based speed that is expected upon most modern humans and it's as though the fungi realm is there to bring us back into connection into interconnectivity i don't know how like, in terms of the science of reconnection i know that lion's mane it's incredible what they're finding with, you know, the brain and the nerve cells. And um, yeah, it's astounding. In fact, we just did a, a post together on Instagram and a woman commented on it saying that she'd been having seizures all her life and had lost most of her memory. She started taking lion's mane and her childhood memories have been coming back. Mm. You know, this <laughs> is just incredible, the stories that are emerging from this. So, yeah, I don't know if you have anything you want to tail off from that about in the reconnection. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to to speak to the the cultural portion. Yeah, you know, we've gotten ourselves in a in a very uh isolated state and I think we're starting to come back from that. I hope that we are because we can't go any further into it, right? Like there's this kind of climbing of the ladder, getting further up in our careers and just becoming more and more and more lonely and separated. And I think finally a lot of us are kind of sitting up and going, oh, shit, <laughs> 
this isn't what I wanted to feel like at all. This isn't what this yeah. was supposed to feel like. And yeah, like there, there is this, this beautiful um, analogy, right, of the, connective, the connectivity that mushrooms represent, um, you know, the, the mycelial web and the connecting, the, the whole world, wood wide web, I should say, and connecting plants and trees. And there's also a dark side to that, which Tom o- often speaks about, which is kind of like the war beneath our feet, really, whereby sometimes we'll see mushrooms happily sharing a dead stump and we'll see a couple of different, like turkey tail's a really good example. So you might see um, turkey tail and false turkey tail on the same log and both of those mushrooms have managed to to fruit so both of those um the the mycelium has been been strong enough generally what happened is that they compete <laughs> and tom speaks to it a, a lot and actually he's he's much much better versed in terms of the realities of the uh, the, the the mycelial underworld this uh, almost represented in human nature as well if the mushrooms are not getting what they want, they will cut off certain parts of um, of the woods, of trees, of plants, whatever it might be, uh, just as much as they will give. But yes, I think <laughs> I think physiologically, there's so much that the, the mushrooms can do for us. I think that we have gotten to a point we we undoubtedly are, are in a abject mental health crisis and we have been for some time and I think we're finally talking about it and working on it together and starting to come back um, in a more like community-based way which is so needed Um, and yeah you know there are so many things the mushrooms that we grow and also the mushrooms that we that we don't grow right which are hitting the headlines in a big way at the moment in terms of their support for yeah, the depths of the realities of being human, you know, and really helping us to recover from from our traumas and from our separation. Um, because that's the, certainly from a psilocybin perspective, um, it, it's that connectedness that you've, we finally feel with ourselves, mm. with the land. That's what people tend to report, right? And and quite often what brings us to the rest of the mushroom kingdom as well, because we're like, whoa, if that's all yeah. they're capable of, what can these guys do? Um, and undoubtedly, lion's mane, certainly from a, from a cognitive perspective, is amazing. Stimulates nerve growth factor, which is essential for the survival of neural cells in our brain. That's something that's I mean, going to be so much more researched over the next 10 years. And we're actually co-sponsoring a PhD student over the next three years um, to look into specifically um, neurodegenerative diseases and how uh, lion's mane can support with that. And then there's mushrooms like reishi, to go back to reishi always, (laughs) (laughs) which really support from a nervous system perspective and so many other things. And mushrooms... Also, I mean, the thing that they're all really, really good at, at least all of the mushrooms that we grow, is supporting the immune system. So immune modulating, which can sound very much like, oh, well, that's just connected to colds and flus and whatever. But our immune cells live all over our bodies. (laughs) And mushrooms really are not only the great modulators of the natural world, but they're the great modulators of our our beings as well all the mushrooms we grow are considered adaptogens which is a very 
overused word <laughs> at the moment. Um, but essentially, they work with various systems in our body at once and they bring us back to a steady level. They bring us back to a point of homeostasis. Um, and so, yeah, there's kind of analogy in all of that, isn't there? Um, and, 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 and carry over from, from all of that. And to speak to the, you know, the, the amazing healing that can be found with, um, yeah, the mushrooms that are heavily restricted here, um, which is obviously profound and important and amazing. Um, I think that these mushrooms, mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane and cordyceps and maitake, all of them really in their own ways, they play, as I kind of experienced really all those years ago, well, not, not too many years ago, um, they play a really important role in integrating and helping us to feel better on a daily basis in the small, important, incremental ways. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't always about those big effects. They tend to have a lifespan, you know, and then it's about how do we ground it in. And I really feel like, yeah, mushrooms are incredible allies in helping us do that. Yeah, well said. Um, you mentioned cordyceps, and that's one that I've been told is a real kin of mine. I've had thyroid issues and Graves' disease, and I think, um, yeah, there's been evidence to suggest that it's really supportive of thyroid function and amongst so many other things. And what I just find so trippy about the cordyceps is it's obviously one of these sort of zombie fungi where it can take over the insect and make them climb to a certain point. And Merlin Sheldrake talks about this so magnificently in his book, Entangled Life, this idea that the mushroom itself must have in its genetic code the, you know, how to walk as this insect in terms of symbiotic evolution. How crazy is it to think of this sort of adaptive essence? It's fascinating. Um, And I know that obviously growing it is a different ball game. It's a different paradigm. I almost wonder if, if as it's growing without the insect part, if it's if it feels like it's missing something in life. I'll have to ask. Like it's missing its wild side. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, cordyceps are incredible, incredible fungi. Um, and as you say, you know, no no insects are harmed in the growing of the cordyceps um, here at the farm. Uh, totally, totally different um, method and something that um, we've got an amazing chap called Joey who came in full time about a year ago, but he's been working with us for, for years. Joey's really, really skilled and, and uh, heads up all of the cordyceps grow and would be a much better person again to speak to the the um, intricacies of, of the growing yeah. side. But from from my kind of angle like they all, all of the mushrooms have their own personas yeah. in a really big way they do the cordyceps um yeah whether they're whether they're missing the world I don't know I haven't kind of, <laughs> I haven't picked up on that kind of uh I haven't picked up on that from them as I say I'll have to ask um, <laughs> but they are so full of life like the way that they move it. So when, when we're, when we're growing them, like as soon as you get close to them, they're, they're, they oscillate almost like they're so 
amazing. They're so energetic, which is, again, like such a big part of what they do for us. Um, they deliver ATP, their energy molecule, uh, to the muscle cells. So physiologically, they're really energizing, really uplifting and beautiful as well. Like I see them as these really social beings. <laughs> yeah. Cordyceps uh, is an amazing mushroom to use if there's ever a social scenario that, you know, that we need to enter into. Um, we're not necessarily feeling like 100% for it. The cordyceps are like, let's go. But yeah, absolutely. There is that There is that side to them that obviously we totally miss out on at the farm. They're, the guys actually are talking about going on a, a forage for wild cordyceps in October, which I really look forward to hearing. Um, yeah, where from. would that be? I don't know. They were just talking about it in the barn. They've been mm. fat. So we were sent a wild cordyceps from Cornwall. Um about yeah like a year and a half ago they're here the fungi festival the amazing fungi festival that we were at last weekend huge shout out to to max and nikki who who pulled that together at relatively short notice it was incredible 100 percent recommend it for next year they people were pulling out like albino cordyceps that they had found on the land there like it's amazing what happens when 400 mushroom nerds get together in one place like they will find everything um yeah so they are here they are here joey was saying that um somebody had found like 30 different cordyceps where they're going to be going foraging so i'm not sure where it is which is probably a good thing because otherwise i would be hung drawn and quartered for giving away yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I yeah my question was more like here in the uk i i hadn't realized that cordyceps was growing here that's incredible oh it's so exciting i love it i've often wondered as well whether the mushrooms even once they've been extracted and made into tinctures and consumed that there's a continuation of their consciousness i mean how if if you were to have an animistic perspective of life and how they're showing up in in these healing ways it kind of implies a sort of continuation of their essence um and so yeah this they're inhabiting us with something in that way something i like to think about absolutely absolutely and and you know it's it's always a two-way street isn't it you know, when it comes to picking up on that, it's an openness. Um, I would definitely say that there's, um, yeah, there's like a clear carryover of like the the energy or the persona of the mushroom when it comes into tincture form. Um, I think the fact that like we're very close to source when we're making them, we're making them in really small batches. Everything's handmade mm. when, when we work with them at the farm. So that probably makes a bit of a difference. I can't speak to all of the, you know, all of the products. There's so many brands now that, you know, have, um, yeah, like all come into succession over the last couple of years. And I haven't tried them all, so I can't speak to them all. Yeah. But it definitely feels like with the with the tinctures that you, yeah, you, you, you pick up on that, um, on the subtle yeah. energies as well that what is the benefit of this whole triple extract Mm. process so the traditional way of making an extract or a tincture is to do a dual extract which is just water and alcohol tincturing is one of the oldest methods of of medicine making often when it comes to working with plants and making tinctures the alcohol is really important as a preserver With the mushrooms, it's a really, really, really key element to break through the chitin cell wall 
and give us access to make bioavailable um, as many of the bioactive compounds that we possibly can. So the reason that it's three steps and not two steps is quite simply because different compounds come out at different temperatures. So the two extra, the two um, steps up front or at the end, depending on the mushroom, um, are <laughs> water uh, extractions, decoctions, whatever you want to call them. Different temperatures, different lengths of time, one under pressure, um, one not. And that pulls out different compounds. Um, so that's that's why we do it. Actually, we're veering towards a quadruple <laughs> extract at the moment. Wow. Um, one of the steps is, is ultrasonic, which is another method that, that some companies undertake. And again, it's just really all about making sure that we have broken down the chitin cell wall as much as we physically can to make bioavailable as many of the compounds as possible so that we can our bodies can make use of them. Because certainly in the West and certainly in our um, in Northern Europe, um, where they've they've done kind of tests on this, we tend to lack chitinase, which is an enzyme in our gut that breaks down chitin. Uh, chitin mm-hmm. is the same thing that the exoskeletons of crabs and certain insects is made up from and it's the the same kind of very hardy cell wall that locks in for lack of a better term um (laughs) so many of the important compounds so without really laboring over like making the extraction process as, as good as it can be we're missing out on loads you know so people often ask us like oh can i not just eat the mushrooms and the answer is always eat mushrooms. They're an amazing part of your diet. They're full of vitamins and minerals that we absolutely can access from eating them. But in order to get through to things like herisinones and erinacines in lion's mane, things like the ganodermic acids and triterpenes in reishi that have been really well studied um, and we have an understanding of scientifically, they, yeah, they, they need to be extracted first. The case is probably different in countries like China, Korea, Japan, where people tend to have um, much more chitinase in their guts. And an example that I'll quite often use is it's a bit like the lactase lactose scenario, but the other way around. <laughs> so people in um, in China, because they like milk and dairy products were not a big part of their diet for a long, long time, which is a really interesting um, story, actually. It's um, one of the, the, at least the theory that I've heard or the story that I've heard is that it was because um, one of the the tribes on the outskirts, um, on the the steppes, um, would eat, uh, you know, eat a lot of milk and eat a lot of cheese. And it was seen as barbaric by people of mainland China. And so culturally, it was like rejected. People didn't want to eat it. And so for thousands of years, people didn't consume dairy products. And so they they didn't have the, the lactase um, enzymes in their guts. And so there's a huge amount of lactose intolerance. Here, it's quite simply just because we haven't had chitin-rich diets for as long in such an in-depth way. And so we don't have access to these chitinase um, enzymes in our guts Mm, so interesting (laughs) wow uh yeah speaking of i suppose heading to china um (laughs) 
There's some lovely folklore around lion's mane, isn't there? Can you share a little bit about that? Around lion's mane. So lion's mane apparently was taken by um, Taoist monks to help them uh, drop into um, meditation. Um, There's so much, to be honest, the folklore around lion's mane, I'm not as well versed in as I am the folklore around Horatio. I'm extremely biased. Um, and also mushrooms like uh, maitake, so much of the story. It makes me slightly sad, actually. I've done a lot of digging around to try and find where our mushroom stories are, and they are thin on the ground. And mm. so I hope that we'll start recreating them, really, and re reimagining um, what that looks like on, on these lands, because... At the moment, I'm actually reading a whole book dedicated to the reishi mushroom. And it's written by an amazing um, Canadian herbalist who has devoted a huge amount of his time understanding um, the story of reishi and understanding and excavating the folklore. Um, but it's all from that part of the world. We don't really yeah. have it here, even though it grows here. Well, I think I, I think we shared something along the lines um, of the Taoist monks would wear these tasselly necklaces that represented the lion's mane. I love this idea of wearing things that metamorphosize ourselves in, into the landscape and into the plant or fungi that we're working with. And so I love that. But speaking of British, um, or at least, yeah, Europe, mushroom fungi folklore i i often wonder there's just so many fairy tales Mm -hmm. that seem to me very connected to liberty cap or to amanita muscaria so at least we have i think so many of those that would be fun to kind of revive the the fungi essence in them but I'd be really curious about other ones and also just the, the the mushroom rings, you know, they're so common, aren't they, with portals or thresholds. Do you have some interesting reishi folklore? Obviously, it sounds like, yeah, not from these lands, but I'd still be curious to hear a little. Well, it's, it's interesting that you talk about the wearing of the lion's mane. And thank you for sharing that, because that is a brand new one for me. I'm going to be doing some... Uh, yeah, some diving around for that. Um, but reishi was actually worn as um, as a motif um, on garments of clothing, um, as a protection, mostly worn by children, um, as a as a protection, and hung over doorways as a talisman for good luck. And of course, in China, it was known as the mushroom of immortality. And that also goes back to um, Taoist traditions. Like there's this huge kind of seeking for the immortal, um, the elixir of, of Im- yeah, immortality. And there's a there's a lot of um, yeah, there's a lot to say that that elixir probably was reishi. Um, so for about three hundred and fifty years, I think in China, reishi was only accessible by the emperor. And his family. So whether that was the same emperor or not, <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> Never managed to find that out. But um, but yeah, Reishi really, really was like revered and and a well kept, um, yeah, a, a well kept and protected mushroom. Um, yeah, the emperors in China were were no joke at all. I was just reading earlier about the fact that if the emperor wanted to go from the forbidden city. Um, to the palace, which was something like seven miles, an entourage of 
is it 150 or 15,000 people would have to take the emperor in the dead of night because he couldn't be seen because they were seen as these descendants from from God. Mm. Um, and yeah, their chosen mushroom was 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 reishi. So it really, uh, yeah, deeply entwined. And, and throughout so many cultures, you know, Zoroastrianism, ancient Egypt, China, um, reishi pops up all over the place as a as a motif um, and also as as like um, yeah as a as an amulet and a a symbol of protection and good luck. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about integrating with reishi. Were you speaking to integrating entheogenic experiences? I'm just curious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. That was a huge part of um, what kind of took me out to, to Costa Rica, which was a place that I didn't plan to go to. It was really one of those, oh, I ended up here. <laughs> um, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and buckle up <laughs> kind of work. Um, so yes, I, that, that was, um, that was the, the retreat center that I was working with. I'm working with so many plants and so many mushrooms, as I say, you know, like doing the really deep work with Aya um, and, you know, working with um, psilocybin mushrooms a lot. But then, as I say, like working with reishi every single day, religiously, getting to know the native plants of the land there, of which there are so many. Yeah, I'd just be so curious to to understand that more and maybe even introduce it into our integration programs because obviously mm. we hold psilocybin gatherings. I say obviously, I don't know how much you and I just spoke, but yeah, and we have a, a two, sometimes three-month integration um, program where we're still holding people a lot and yeah I'm just picturing uh, everyone leaving the retreat with a big tincture bottle of reishi and just this feeling of having that ally to support the process of of integration sounds really special amazing yeah I think it's a, a really big one like reishi for me and a very personal way, but in real layman's terms also, just feels like this big hug for your nervous system. There's a small amount of research in terms of why that might be, like Reishi seems specifically to work um, with the microglial cells in our nervous systems, which are like the little brains. And there's some research to indicate that when those cells become inflamed that can lead to certain neurodegenerative diseases. I don't think they've looked into it from a, uh, you know, people that have been through stuff perspective mm. and the inflammation that exists all over the body as a result of that. Yeah. Reishi is by far the most powerful anti-inflammatory um, kind of ally of, of all of the mushrooms that we grow. That's mostly because it contains the highest amount of triterpene content uh, compounds, um, which are kind of known for their anti-inflammatory um, benefits. Reishi also, in Chinese medicine, it's a real heart tonic, and they've done a huge amount of research in China in terms of how it can help with heart disease, how it can help with cardiovascular function. So again, like when we look at that energetically, um, yeah, it, it, it kind of makes sense. What I really, really love is looking at the traditional and kind of folk medicine principles of plants and mushrooms and then marrying that up with the research that's being done and seeing time and time again that what we're proving in science was actually spoken about, um, you know, in just different language 
it's something that my um, our dear friend, another good friend of the Fungarium, um, Becca Laz, the plant scientist, she speaks about this a lot because she's done a huge amount of the kind of ethnobotany um, research in her line of work. But it, exactly that, that so much of what we're proving in science is just another articulation um, of, a, of a, a language that we don't really accept in our culture. Um, but the information's been there for a really, really long time. Oh, okay. I'm definitely going away for this conversation with such a strong intention to start working with Reishi. Um, yeah. I've, I've dabbled, you know, but I, I feel, especially as someone who, you know, I've healed a chronic autoimmune disease. And so inflammation is something I have to just keep my, my eyes on. So working with Reishi sounds like a really beautiful way I'm so excited to explore that and also I love this idea of it also being heart a heart tonic and an integration ally mm. I think you're going to be getting a bulk order from me soon <laughs> yeah what's so lovely about working with the mushrooms individually and working with the individual tinctures is finding blends that work for, for you and times yeah. of day that they work best for you because we are all different. We all have different constitutions and contexts. And there's a huge amount of overlap for sure. But yeah, specific blends um, can, can just um, work with us very differently and we can um, respond to them very differently. So it's really amazing, like figuring out what that looks like. And that changes throughout our cycle, especially as women. That changes throughout the cycles of our lives and the cycles of our months, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, in terms of context changing and, and all the rest of it. So yeah, really exciting. We'd love to send you some things and like we're yeah. always happy to give the guidance that we can give with the experience that we have and with the reading that we've done. And then obviously we labor over encouraging people to work with herbalists as much as possible at the moment the reality is that mushrooms are a bit of a missing piece in herbalism yeah. um something that i'm really excited about personally i started studying with heartwood a couple of years ago but it was around the same time we were uh, launching the fungarium and i found it really ch it's a big deal <laughs> herbalism is no joke you know it's yeah they're such undersung heroes this study the labor that that goes into becoming a herbalist is profound um but i'm i'm starting an apprenticeship with the seed sisters this year which i'm super excited, excited about and yeah one day would love to be a fully fledged herbalist probably when my hair is you know, totally silvering and uh, yeah, but I really am looking forward to weaving mushrooms in to, to that practice because it does feel like there's a tiny handful of people, at least in the UK, that bridge that gap. Um, yeah. And there needs to be more. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you mentioned about our cycles as women and how they can support this and regulate this. And I saw that you have um, a menopause kind of, care pack I'd love to just hear a little bit about that because that's just something I had no idea about and I'm, I'm just want to plant the seed for people listening that there's something like this available a hundred percent you know it's it's something that another thing we're just starting to talk about right it's so heartening to see these conversations finally happening and for there to be a safe space for when every single woman goes through this 
transition, this like evolution, right, in many ways. And I think we're starting to see it as that. But societally, it is not dealt. It isn't dealt with in that way at all. It's extremely isolating and can be like a really painful time. And so anything that can support that time is so important. And there's a bit of research. So the three um, mushrooms in that bundle are reishi, shiitake and maitake. The one that could be in there is autocordyceps, partly from a thyroid perspective, partly from an energy perspective. Um, Reishi, as well as being an incredible immune modulator, nervous system support, um, support with better quality and more restful sleep, um, all of these things which can, you know, be be challenges during that time, um, is also one of the only mushrooms that has a direct claim to hormone regulation because it contains um, certain phytoestrogen compounds. So really, really helpful for modulating estrogen production and specifically upregulating estrogen production in the body. Um, Just so important for so many things, right? Like estrogen is is one of the, the key hormones responsible for bone density too and osteoporosis at that time for many women can become problematic um but i think yeah just on the whole like having something that can help us feel more calm um yeah help us get a more restful sleep like <laughs> help to quieten the, the the busy busy mind so helpful um, maitake is a really interesting one. It's one of my absolute favorite mushrooms and it, it is another kind of undersung hero. And I, hormonally, it's a really interesting one because maitake seemingly doesn't directly impact our hormones. It doesn't directly like, uh, modulate progesterone or estrogen, but it's incredible at regulating our blood glucose levels. So for women in a pre-menopause, uh, so when we're still uh, menstruating, during the luteal phase of our cycle, when progesterone spikes, we can become really insulin resistant. Maitake is really great at helping with insulin sensitivity, but because the mushrooms are these incredible modulators, they can upregulate and downregulate as our bodies require. So when progesterone drops and the opposite happens. Maitake is an amazing, amazing support. It's also another one that's full of antioxidant compounds, full of anti-inflammatory compounds. But that piece around blood sugar regulation is so key and so intertwined with our hormones and something that I don't really think we talk about enough. No. Um, yeah, like one of the things I think that can make us feel really bonkers as women um like so much of those uh, symptoms go back to our blood sugars being out of sync it's not necessarily as simple as saying my hormones are imbalanced there's there's almost all almost always more to it than that um and again another thing that a fantastic herbalist is really invaluable in terms of of guiding that that process and the other one is shiitake. So shiitake, similarly to maitake, it doesn't seem to directly um, influence us hormonally, but it, it contains a huge amount of zinc. And zinc is a precursor to testosterone production. 
testosterone being another key hormone, we often see it as an androgen or like a male hormone, but it's really important. And testosterone, interestingly, plays a vital role for memory function, um, which is another thing that lots of women going through perimenopause and menopause can um, can complain about and talk about. It's like, oh, my, my brain is starting to get foggy. Lion's mane can be really useful, but from a more um, taking one step back perspective, yeah, shiitake is amazing. Um, and, and so many other things. It's full of selenium and B vitamins, so really beautiful for skin health as well. Um, like really amazing for, for skin health. We've had reports um, from people that have taken shiitake and it's helped to clear up their psoriasis, their eczema. I even had a, haven't actually had a chance to watch it yet, but I had a girl send a video testimonial totally off her own back because mm. she'd been suffering with acne really cripplingly for the last couple of years. And she was like, oh, I just thought I'd try your shiitake tincture. And it seems to have totally cleared that up. Um, which is amazing. And obviously one person, and we're not making like huge wild claims and going, this is, you know, <laughs> we won't be posting before and after pictures. But um, just so amazing to hear that. So amazing to hear that. And I think partly it's its antibacterial uh, function and then it's it contains all of this zinc and all of this selenium and all of these things yeah. that are so important for hydrating our skin and helping yeah. us feel more youthful so in chinese medicine um shiitake whatever that means that's an overused word isn't it but shiitake is seen as a um a symbol of youthfulness and virility and there's some really beautiful um story around that as well whereby um back in the day in ancient china when a baby was conceived a shiitake log would be inoculated so that it kind of came of age with the child and then that shiitake log would become the child's um, fortune. So that's kind of partly where the youthfulness um, link comes in as well. So it's quite intertwined. But another thing that seems to be proven now through, yeah, diving much deeper into the science. Oh my goodness, I just want to start having some of these mushrooms. It sounds like you could also put the shiitake on your skin. Mm. Well, it's something that we'd love to play around with, to be honest. Mm. It's not something that we really are doing at the moment or really, quite frankly, have capacity to do. Yeah. But yeah, we've all been curious about it. We have um, one of um, one of the, the women at the farm, Emma, who heads up a load of the, the tincture making. She's like an absolute kitchen witch, um, had suffered from um, psoriasis. And we were looking to make something because she, she, you know, benefited from taking it orally. But we were looking to make like a cream or a balm or something that could be used topically as well. People are doing it with chaga. Chaga contains melanin, which is really important for protecting our skin from UV rays. And I've seen a company um, that have created um, like a chaga tanning oil, which is amazing. So like the, the possibilities are endless. Over the next few yeah. years, we are going to see mushrooms being utilized in every which way. So many of these products already exist further east. And we're just kind of playing catch up over here, I think. So, yeah, very exciting times. It's so exciting. I mean, there's, you know, the film Fantastic Fungi. That's one of the most 
active hope-inducing films I've witnessed in a long, long time because you just are shown in such a beautiful way the power of the fungi realm and what it's capable of in terms of really kind of saving us, to be honest. Um, sorry, I've been coughing away here a little bit because I'm actually, I've actually got COVID. Oh, no. Right, <laughs> so, we're definitely sending you a bundle of mushrooms. Oh, bless you. You're doing incredibly well, like... It's been rough. No, I've had I've had four days totally bedridden and tossing and turning all night, and I'm I think I'm on the mend. I, yeah, I was just going to add to to your bit at the end there about um, my dad recently was diagnosed with cancer, and he had you know various treatments with the NHS, and he really just with so much energy and flair changed his diet. And did a lot of fasting. And then one of the other things he did, um, I went to a fungi conference uh, a while back, I guess last autumn, and um, learned about turkey tail and it's rather cancer. And so I said, yeah, I get turkey tail. And then whilst you're at it, you may as well get some reishi. And I think there was something else, lion's mane. I'm pretty sure it would have been lion's mane. And he he did it. He he ordered um, all three and he's been, yeah, taking them in tea. And he's continued with this incredible, um, he calls it intermittent feasting rather than intermittent fasting um and he I've he looks so well he looks so well it didn't look like it was going to be a good prognosis at all and we were all sort of tentatively getting ready for I don't know a year two years who knows but then now you just wouldn't believe how much energy he has he's he's he just looks so well I'm so happy so yeah and it seems it seems to have really cleared up in terms of the test as well so yeah, there's just so much abundance when it comes to healing from the fungi realm that I, yeah, I love the work you're doing. It's so, so important. It feels like the fungi or spirit or source or whatever it is, was very much um, guiding you to to this land and to be bringing medicine into the world. So it's been so lovely to speak and I just feel like I want to keep speaking for another hour, but oh, <laughs> probably should wrap you. up. And yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so happy to hear that your dad is 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 doing so well. It, it's yeah, it, it takes so much inner strength to to get to that place um I'm just so glad that yeah the mushrooms the mushrooms found their way to him and and vice versa and that he found all of these incredible tools that's really 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 amazing to hear our favorite kind of feedback is when we get um calls or emails from from people that have been on or on that journey and are doing better and they're able to to see it in data as well and to see it and, and hear their doctors go well I don't know what you've been doing but you've you know don't stop you know you're doing all the right things that's amazing so heartening and um yeah thank you so much for having me this has been such a lovely chat Thank you for being here with the Rooted Healing community. Through deepened imagination, consciousness expansion and cross-cultural wisdom exchange, we explore human soul ecology to ignite collective healing, nature awe and interconnectivity. 
We offer nature-immersive ceremonial gatherings, legal and safe psychedelic-assisted psilocybin retreats, integrative healing courses, and a growing collection of resources rooted in regenerative reciprocity. Visit rootedhealing.org to learn more. Please do consider joining our Patreon community, where you can gift forward and support our work in exchange for bonus material, book and gift giveaways, meditations, workshops, episode transcripts, community discussion and discounts to our events. Your monthly contribution, which can be as little as £2 a month, helps us cover the costs of running the show and our hope is to gather enough gifting community to really go the extra mile with the show and its purpose. Come follow us on Instagram at Rooted Healing Co. or find us on the various platforms you tune into. And don't forget to rate and review the show if these stories and conversations are touching you. It's a beautiful act of reciprocity. Thank you. The music in this episode was gifted by Mike Howe and Chris Park. Thank you so much for enriching this episode with your creations. If you'd like to gift your music to the Rooted Healing podcast, please reach out to us via the link in the show notes. I'm your host, Veronica Stanwell. Thanks for listening.